listening to Radio Maria, Christian Boys in your home. We're not present of the show. This is the Department of Messiah Judaism with Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman. Welcome once again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the fulfillment, the full realization of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Well, we are, of course, at a very special time of the year. In fact, much of the year is a very special time of the year. Thank God for the church calendar. We are um, in Advent, of course, in this beginning of the season that celebrates, uh, or at least um, enjoys a joyful anticipation of the imminent coming of our Savior, of Jesus Christ. And not only is it Advent uh, celebrating or, or anticipating the celebration of the coming of Christ, but we are right up against the um, Feast of the Immaculate Conception. So I wanted to dedicate today's show to the Feast of the Immaculate Conception and to the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, who is, of course, the subject of the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Now, I'm going to start at the beginning. Um, my, uh, let me first, I guess, outline what my plan is for today, which is, first of all, to talk just a bit about the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, to read some extracts from a sermon, a homily, on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception by St. Francis de Sales and uh, of the uh, early 17th century, and, um, and then to read the account of the Immaculate Conception from Anne Catherine Emmerich, who was a mystic visionary nun of, I believe, the 19th century, middle of the 19th century in Germany, who had a series of visions that traced salvation history, actually, from Adam and Eve through, uh, certainly through the crucifixion. And um, she enjoyed, I suppose one could use the word, although she enjoyed it in great suffering, a kind of almost unending stream of these visions various aspects of salvation history and the entire life of Christ, which were written down by a faithful scribe, uh, Clemens Brentano, if I remember correctly, who sat by her bedside and wrote down her visions. And her visions are collected. This is why I'm going into this bit of a digression. They're collected in um, a number of books, all of which are available for free on the internet as downloads, as ebooks or PDF files. So if you like the visions, and I'm a strong proponent of them, I find them very beautiful, first of all, very beautiful meditative reading, but also they fill in a lot of blanks that, uh, in a very plausible way, about the life of Christ and, and the way certain things unfolded. If you saw the movie The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson, that was taken word for word, so to speak, from the visions of Anne Catherine Emmerich. As a matter of fact... Um, I'll tell a little bit of that story, which is um, Mel Gibson felt very strongly in his heart that he had to do a movie on the Passion of Christ, and he had no idea of where to start or how to approach it or how to get a handle on it. And he was in his library agonizing about this when Anne Catherine Emmerich's book literally fell off the shelf. Uh, he told me this himself. 
so anyways uh, um the story that is and that's you know he obviously picked up the book and realized that that was where he was to, going to get the account for the passion of christ for the movie from so in any case her name is spelled Anne, A-N-N-E, Catherine with a C, and Emmerich, E-M-M-E-R-I-C-H. So if you Google that, you'll be able to find her books. They're, of course, available in print, but they're also available for free as downloads. So with that, uh, first of all, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, I hope we all realize, although people, even good Catholics, can get confused, it doesn't have anything directly to do with Jesus. It's not a reference to um, the virgin birth of Jesus. It is a reference instead to the fact that his mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary, although fully human, received the singular and unique grace of being born without original sin. We all know the story that our original parents, Adam and Eve, sinned in the Garden of Eden, and since then, flowing down through the line of generation from those first parents, all human beings have inherited original sin, a kind of a fundamental defect in human nature, as well as a, a guilt, actually, a culpability for the sin of our first parents. And the only exception, the only place where that stream of original sin that flowed down from our original parents through all of humanity was arrested, was stopped, was at the Blessed Virgin Mary, that she did not, she was she was saved from original sin. She was conceived without original sin. She's the only... Um, I, I'm choosing my words carefully. She's the only f entirely nothing but human person. In other words, the exception being Jesus, but Jesus was true God and true man. Mary was simply 100% human and nothing more than human, but nonetheless, she was conceived without original sin as a special privilege. Um... To, uh, in uh, with respect, in fact, to the fact that she was going to conceive the God-man in her womb later. So the Immaculate Conception is a feast celebrating the fact that when the Blessed Virgin Mary's parents conceived Mary in the womb of her mother, who was St. Anne, Mary was conceived in the womb of St. Anne without the stain of original sin. That's, in fact, why, of course, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception is on December 8th, and what happens exactly nine months after the Feast of the Immaculate Conception is that we have the um, Feast of the Birth of Mary on September 8th. That's the nine months, obviously, between her conception and her birth. So the Feast of the Immaculate Conception is not to be confused with Christmas, as unfortunately it sometimes is, as though it was um, actually a celebration of the virgin birth of Jesus in some sense. It isn't. Okay, I've gone through that. So now let me read from a sermon for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception by St. Francis de Sales. Let us consider first of all that God, despite being a pure and free spirit, willed to create something outside himself, and thus created the angels, and afterwards Adam and Eve, in the state of innocence and original justice. Furthermore, he left them their free will, accompanied by all the prerogatives and privileges of grace which they could possibly desire. But what did Lucifer do, that spirit of revolt, when he saw himself endowed with so excellent a nature? He did not wish to subject himself in any way whatsoever." 
Now, you know that all the angels were created in grace, but were not confirmed in grace at once. God left them their free will and full liberty. When this first angel, Lucifer, saw that he was so beautiful and so excellent in his nature, for he was the most perfect of all, he said to himself, I will take my seat in the recesses of the north, which are the highest. I will be like the most high. All will render me honor. In other words, Lucifer wanted to take the throne of God. When St. Michael saw that, he cried out, Who is like God? And by this means he threw Lucifer into the recesses of the pit, according to the writings of St. Bernard, for no one can be elevated unless he has first humbled himself. Thus Lucifer became a rebel against his creator, and therefore against the image of his creator, who is man. Therefore he addressed himself to our first parents, and primarily to Eve, speaking to her in this way, If you eat of this fruit, you will know good and evil, and will be like God. She listened willingly to this suggestion, and she gave her consent and ate the forbidden fruit. Even going further, she gave some to her husband to eat, both thus succumbing and becoming disobedient to God. At that very instant they became ashamed and confused, for sin brings such with it, and they hid themselves from God as far as it was possible for them. If they had remained in grace, we would have participated in that incomparable good, for it is from their fall that original sin has taken its source. It is the heritage which they left us, just as we might have had the same inheritance of that grace and justice in which they had been created, had they persevered. But alas, they remained in it only a short time. It was only a moment, and since we are all of the same stock and seed of Adam, we are all tainted with original sin. This is what made the great royal prophet cry out, Psalm 51, in guilt was I born, and in sin my mother conceived me. This means that we are all conceived in sin, and all conceptions, from the beginning of the world to the end, will be made in sin. It is true indeed that our first father and Eve too were created and not conceived. Nevertheless, every human conception is made in, in sin. Our Lady and Holy Mistress alone was exempt from this evil. She who was to conceive God first in her heart and in her spirit before conceiving him in her chaste womb. All are born under God's wrath because of original sin, which makes them enemies of God, but by baptism they are regenerated and become his children, capable of his grace and of the heritage of eternal life. All have been stained with original sin, but some have been purified before their birth by a special miracle as was John the Baptist and also the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb I knew you, and before you were born I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. At the words of the sacred Virgin Mary, St. John was sanctified by the presence of him who was enclosed in her womb. However, St. John and Jeremiah, Saints John and Jeremiah, were conceived in sin by the ordinary way of generation. This was not so with our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit and of his sacred mother without any father. This is why he could not reasonably inherit original sin. As for Our Lady, the Most Holy Virgin, she was conceived in the usual way of generation. 
But since in his plan God had predestined her from all eternity to be his mother, he kept her pure and free from all stain. Our Lady, because at the instant of her conception, he placed himself between her and sin. It was fitting that she have this particular privilege, because it was not reasonable that the devil be able to reproach our Lord with the claim that she who had carried him in her womb had in original sin been subject to him. It was of her that Jesus, who is called the Messiah, was born. Thus, by special grace, her soul possessed nothing of original sin from her earthly parents, as is the case with all other creatures. End of the section or the extract from the Sermon for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, December 8, 1622, by St. Francis de Sales. Now, I hope you forgive that rather perhaps lengthy catechesis, but I think it's appropriate, given the feast, to just have that solid background in what this Immaculate Conception is all about. Now, we know that the Blessed Virgin Mary is um, called the New Ark of the Covenant, um, I have I have an endless endless series of quotes from church fathers who refer to the Blessed Virgin Mary as the new Ark of the Covenant. I'll just read one of them from Saint Chrysippus: "An Ark truly royal, an Ark most precious, is the ever Virgin Mother of God, an Ark which received the treasure of entire sanctification, not that Ark in which were all kinds of animals, as the Ark of Noah." which escaped the shipwreck of the whole drowning world, not that ark in which were the tables of stone, as in that ark that journeyed in company with Israel throughout the desert, but an ark whose architect and inhabitant, pilot, pilot and merchant and leader, was the creator of all creatures, all which he bears in himself, but not by all is contained. In other words, the ark of the covenant, from the of the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the manna from the wilderness, which contained the tablets of the law that God gave to Moses, that contained the uh, rod of Aaron, which was the presence of God before the incarnation in the temple in Jerusalem. It was the Ark of the Covenant was the physical world that you could say. Um, a chamber of God, enclosure of God on earth. Um, the, that was, of course, replaced by the Blessed Virgin Mary, who became the true Ark of the Covenant, because she became uh, the, the chamber, the surrounding, protecting enclosure of God himself in his fullness, in the full incarnation, in the full manifestation of his divinity, of his humanity. Um, in the womb of Mary, she became the true, ultimate Ark of the Covenant, Ark of God, presence of God on earth. I'm not doing a great job on this, but I hope you'll forgive me. You may recall that when the Israelites first entered the Promised Land after crossing the desert, when Joshua was crossing into the Promised Land, and the priests were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when it came time to cross the Jordan River, to enter the promised land with the Ark of the Covenant, as soon as the first priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped foot 
in the ford of the Jordan River, the waters of the Jordan River stopped flowing, and they built up as a wall upstream and drained off downstream, and the entire nation of Israel crossed over the Jordan River dry-shod because the priests were standing in the middle of the ford holding the Ark of the Covenant, and the waters of the Jordan River were halted in the face of the Ark of the Covenant. This is a picture of the waters, the, 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 the stream of original sin, the flood of original sin, the, the river of original sin that flowed into humanity from its source in our first parents, Adam and Eve, and since then flowed through every conception, every creation of every human being as a descendant of Adam and Eve ever since. That flood of original sin stopped in the face of the new Ark of the Covenant, in the face of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which is what the Immaculate Conception is all about, that that original sin that flooded into humanity stopped in the face of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the new Ark of the Covenant, just like the waters of the Jordan River stopped in the face of the old Ark of the Covenant. So um, uh, I just wanted to kind of uh, flesh out that imagery a little bit. But now... What I wish to do is read, as promised, from Anne Catherine Emmerich. Now, um, it's very, very beautiful. I take her very seriously. I actually take her visions as um, rather unquestioningly. That's just a personal judgment. There is no need, there's no obligation, of course, for Catholics to take any private revelation as, as true, actually. They're free to doubt it or reject it or accept it. Um, if it's consistent with dogma, that is. They're free to accept it. So, um, the Anne Catherine Emmerich describes the conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, her conception, in a rather miraculous way. I have no reason to doubt it, but I do want to give a little caveat before I begin, that as private revelation, you know, you are free to take from this whatever resonates well with you and free to reject whatever um, strikes you as off or that you just choose to reject. So um, I will jump to um, the point where Anne and Joachim are looking uh, forward, let's say. Well, I'll just, I'll just jump to the chapter in Anne Catherine Emmerich which is called The Holy and Immaculate Conception of Mary. Before this chapter, Anne Catherine Emmerich goes into a long description of the genealogy of Anne and Joachim and how they came from generation after generation after generation of very holy uh, men and women. But I'll jump to Anne and Joachim themselves. Anne had the assurance, the firm belief, that the coming of the Messiah was very near and that she herself would be of the number of his relatives according to the flesh. Her prayer was continuous, and she constantly aimed at greater purity. It had been revealed to her that she was to bring forth a child of benediction. Her firstborn daughter, who had remained with her grandfather Iliud, and recognized and loved as her own and Joachim's child, but she felt certain that she was not the child whom by interior enlightenment, she knew that she was to bear. For nineteen years and five months after the birth of this first child, Joachim and Anne were childless. They lived in continued prayer and sacrifice, in mortification and continency. 
I frequently saw them dividing their herds, which rapidly multiplied again. Joachim often remained far away with his flocks, in humble supplication to God. The anxiety of both and their longing after the promised blessing had reached their height. Many of their acquaintances upbraided them because of their sterility, which they attributed to some wickedness. When Joachim went to the temple to offer sacrifice, he was received in a very contemptuous manner by a priest named Reuben, who would scarcely admit him. He was shoved into a corner behind a grating, and his offerings were not, like those of others, conspicuously placed behind the gratings to the right of the courtyard, but indifferently set on one side. I saw Joachim leaving the temple in great trouble. Joachim was so dejected, so mortified, that he would not allow his people to inform Anne where he was staying, while the trouble of the latter when she heard how things had gone at the temple, and saw that Joachim did not return home, was indescribable. For five months Joachim thus remained in concealment on Mount Hermon. I saw him praying and weeping. When he went to look after his flocks and his lambs, he was often so overcome by sadness that he cast himself with covered face prostrate on the ground. His servants questioned him upon the cause of his grief, but he did not tell them that it was because he was childless. Again he divided his magnificent herds into three parts. The best he sent to the temple, the second to the Essenians, and the least he kept for himself. So let me just describe the stage that's being set. Um, Anne knew from um, a word of knowledge, you could say, from interior inspiration, that she was to be a blood relative of the Messiah and that she was going to bring forth a child who would be part of the line of the Messiah. Um, she knew this all her life. Her first child, a daughter, she loved very much, but she knew interiorly that this was not the child of promise. This was not the child of the benediction. So she was cast into some sadness about that. And she and Joachim, her husband, uh, prayed continually for 20 years thereafter and lived a life of mortification and continence, praying and offering sacrifice and purifying themselves, hoping to bring forth this child of benediction who would be in the line of the Messiah. Now, Joachim, of course, was a priest who had a rotation of offering sacrifice in the temple. He was... Um, held in some in some disdain by the temple authorities because he had been childless for 19 years and this was seen as a sign of God's displeasure. He was treated with great contempt in this incident when he went to the temple to offer sacrifice and he was so dejected and hurt by this as well as of course being very saddened by waiting for the child of benediction, the child of blessing who didn't come, that um, after that humiliation at the temple, he didn't go home, but he sort of went in the wilderness with his flocks and for five months remained in concealment with his flocks, praying and weeping, prostrate, calling out to God in great distress. And Anne didn't know where he was. She had gotten word of what had happened at the temple, and she was, of course, also in great distress at what had happened, and also wondering where Joachim was, and, and longing, of course, for his return. 
Um, so then I will resume with Anne Catherine Emmerich here. Anne, in the midst of her anxiety, had much to endure also from an insulin maidservant who bitterly taunted her with her sterility. She bore with her a long time, but at last she sent her from the house. After the girl's departure, Anne went in sadness to her chamber and prayed. When evening came, she threw a long scarf over her head, enveloped herself entirely in it, took a covered light beneath her mantle, went out under a spreading tree in the courtyard, lit the lamp, and prayed. This tree was one of those whose branches strike root again and again, and thus form a whole tract of covered walk under their foliage. Its leaves were very large. I think it was with such that Adam and Eve clothed themselves in paradise. The whole tree had the characteristics of that of the forbidden fruit. When Anne had long besought God not to separate her from Joachim, her pious husband, although he had been pleased to deprive her of children, an angel appeared to her. He hovered above her in the air. He told her to set her heart at rest, for the Lord had heard her prayer, that she should on the following morning go with two of her maidservants to the temple in Jerusalem, that there under the golden gate, Entering by the side of the valley of Josephat, she should meet Joachim, who was even now on his way there, that Joachim's offering would be accepted, that his prayer would be heard, and that the angel had appeared also to him. The angel likewise directed Anne to take some doves with her as an offering, and promised that the name of the child she was soon to conceive would be made known to her. And thanked the Lord and returned to the house. When after her lengthy prayer she lay on her couch asleep, I saw a light descending upon her. It surrounded her, yes, even penetrated her. I saw her, upon an interior perception, trembling awake and sit upright. Near her, to the right, she saw a luminous figure writing on the wall in large, shining human Hebrew letters. I read and understood the writing word for word. It was to this effect, that she should conceive, that the fruit of her womb should be altogether special, and that the blessing received by Abraham was to be the source of this conception. Let me just interrupt a little bit. That blessing received by Abraham that was to be the source of this conception was the blessing that he received in Genesis 22, when, in return for his willingness to sacrifice Isaac, the angel of the Lord said to him, Because you have done this, all the peoples of the earth shall be blessed through your seed. Through your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That promise made to Abraham was the promise to send, was the promise to send the Messiah through the seed of Abraham. And that was the blessing received by Abraham, which was to be the source of this conception. In other words, this conception was going to be in the line of the Messiah. Back to Anne Catherine Emmerich. I saw Anne's anxiety as to how she should communicate all this to Joachim, but the angel reassured her by telling her of Joachim's vision. I received then a clear explanation of Mary's immaculate conception. I saw that in the Ark of the Covenant, a sacrament of the Incarnation, of the Immaculate Conception, a mystery for the restoration of fallen humanity, was contained. I saw Anne, with surprise and joy, reading the golden letters of this luminous writing. Her gladness increased to such a degree 
that when she arose to set out for Jerusalem, she looked far younger than before. I saw on Anne's person, at the instant the angel appeared to her, a beam of light, and in her a shining vessel. I cannot describe it any better than by saying that it was like a cradle or a tabernacle, which had been closed but was now opened, and made ready to receive a holy thing. How wonderfully I saw this is not to be expressed, for I saw it as if it were the cradle of salvation for the whole human race, and also as a kind of sacred vessel now opened, and the veil withdrawn. I saw it quite naturally, as if one and the same holy thing. I saw also the apparition of the angel to Joachim. The angel commanded him to take his offering up to the temple, promised that his prayer should be heard, and told him that he should pass under the golden gate. At this announcement Joachim was troubled. He felt very timid about going again to the temple, but the angel assured him that the priests had already been enlightened with regard to him. The time was the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. When Joachim approached the temple, two of the priests came out to meet him. They did this acting on a divine inspiration. Joachim had brought with him two lambs and three kids. His offering was accepted, slaughtered, and burned at the customary place in the temple. When the smoke arose, I saw a beam of light descend upon Joachim and the officiating priest. There was a pause. The beholders looked on in amazement, and I saw two priests go out to Joachim and lead him through the side apartments into the sanctuary before the altar of incense. Then the priests laid incense on the altar. They immediately retired to a distance and left Joachim alone before the altar. I saw him on his knees, his arms extended, while the incense offering slowly consumed itself. He remained shut up in the temple all night, praying with great and ardent desires. I saw that he was in ecstasy. A luminous figure appeared to him in the same manner as to Zachary, and gave him a roll written in shining letters. On it were the three names, Helia, Hannah, and Miriam, and near the last one, the picture of a little Ark of the Covenant or a tabernacle. Joachim laid the roll on his breast under his garment. The angel spoke, Anne will conceive an immaculate child, from whom the Redeemer of the world will be born. The angel told him, moreover, not to grieve over his sterility, which is not a disgrace to him, but a glory, for that what his spouse would conceive should not be from him, but through him, a fruit from God, the culminating point of the blessing given to Abraham. I saw that Joachim could not comprehend these words. Then the angel led him behind the curtain that concealed the grating before the Holy of Holies, um, the angels held up before Joachim's face a shining ball that reflected like a mirror. Joachim gazed into it, and as if called up by his breath, there appeared in it all kinds of pictures in the globe. He saw them clearly. It seemed that the angel then said to him that Anne should conceive, though remaining just as unsullied by him as his ball. The angel then took it from Joachim and raised it on high, I saw it hovering in the air, and, as if through an opening, innumerable and wonderful pictures went into it. They were like a whole world, one picture growing out of another. Up in the highest point appeared the Most Holy Trinity, and below to one side were Paradise, Adam and Eve, the Fall, the Promise of Redeemer, 
Noah, the Ark, scenes connected with Abraham and Moses, the Ark of the Covenant, and many symbols of Mary. In this way I saw innumerable pictures, all bearing some reference to Mary. They were bound together by passages or bridges. In them I saw obstacles, hindrances, struggles, all of which were overcome, and the pictures disappeared one after the other, as if they had entered into the heavenly Jerusalem. But as I gazed at them dissolving in the interior of the globe, the globe itself mounted on high, and I saw it no more. The angel now removed something from the Ark of the Covenant, though without opening the door. It was the mystery of the Ark, the sacrament of the Incarnation, the Immaculate Conception, the consumption of the blessing of Abraham. I beheld it under the appearance of a luminous body. The angel blessed or anointed Joachim's forehead with the tip of his thumb and forefinger. Then he slipped the shining body under Joachim's garment, and it entered into him. How I cannot say. He also gave him something to drink out of a glittering chalice, which he held supported by two fingers. The chalice was of the same shape as that used at the Last Supper. Joachim was directed to take it with him and keep it at home. I understood that the angel forbade Joachim to reveal anything about this holy mystery, and then too I understood why Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, was struck dumb after receiving the blessing and the promise of Elizabeth's fruitfulness through the mystery of the Ark of the Covenant. Um, uh, then the angel now led Joachim out of the Holy of Holies and vanished. Joachim lay on the ground like one stupefied. I saw the priests enter the sanctuary, lead Joachim out reverently, and place him upon a seat that stood on a raised platform. They bathed his face, held something to his nose, and gave him to drink. In short, they treated him as one who had fainted. Joachim, by virtue of what he received from the angel, was quite radiant. He looked as if he had returned to the bloom of youth. Okay, um, I will interrupt myself here, because we're already past the halfway point of the show. And as you know, we usually take a short musical break around the halfway point. Um, I'm leaving, leaving you in a bit of a cliffhanger. We, um, Anne has uh, prayed fervently for the gift of um, her offspring, who is going to be part of the line of the Messiah. She was heard. The angel appeared to her. And uh, at the same time, the angel appeared to Joachim, who was far away, offering uh, sacrifice in the temple. And we have heard about the angel's appearance to Anne in response to her prayer, or the angel's appearance to Joachim in response to his prayer. We have heard about the uh, supernatural transformation, let's say, that um, was affected in Anne and in Joachim to prepare them to conceive, well, to conceive the Blessed Virgin Mary, to host the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Joachim has just left the temple, and um, he is about to encounter Anne and the conception to take place. But that's the cliffhanger. That I will return to after the short break. Um, and also, of course, this is a live call-in program. The number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. 
So if anyone would like to call in during the break with a question or a comment on the Immaculate Conception, I invite you to do so. And when we come back from the break, I will first turn to the phone and uh, see if there are any calls. And then I will, I hope, at least get through the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary according to the visions received by um, Blessed and Catherine Emmerich. With that, let's go to our short musical break. Hi, welcome back to Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Shoman. And I have been uh, dedicating today to the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. And I have been reading uh, visionary, blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich's uh, account of her vision of the Immaculate Conception. And we have just come to the point where um, their prayers have to conceive the child who is going to be um, in turn in the line of producing the Messiah was answered by an angel visiting both of them and then Joachim offered sacrifice in the temple and um, had an experience of um, had his experience of the angel while doing so and he has just left that experience and now that's where I'll pick up the narrative from Anne Catherine Emmerich. Uh, Joachim was afterward conducted by the priest to the entrance of the underground passage that ran under the temple and under the Golden Gate. The priests departed from Joachim at the entrance, and he went alone into the narrow, gradually widening, and almost imperceptibly descending passage. Joachim had accomplished a third part of the way when Anne met him in the center of the passage directly under the Golden Gate. Anne had been conducted into the subterranean passage through an entrance at the opposite end by the priest to whom she and her maid had brought the offering of doves and baskets, and to whom also she had told what the angel revealed to her. I saw Joachim and Anne embrace each other in ecstasy. They were surrounded by hosts of angels, some floating over them carrying a luminous tower like that which we see in the pictures of the Litany of Loretto. The tower vanished between Joachim and Anne, both of whom were encompassed by brilliant light and glory. At the same moment the heavens above them opened, and I saw the joy of the Most Holy Trinity and of the angels over the conception of Mary. Both Joachim and Anne were in a supernatural state. I learned that at the moment in which they embraced and the light shone around them, the Immaculate Conception of Mary was accomplished. I was also told that Mary was conceived just as conception would have had taken place were it not for the fall of man. After this, Joachim and Anne, praising God, turned toward the outer gate of the passage. They went under an arch into a space like a chapel where numerous lights were burning. From there they passed to the gate where they were received by the priests who accompanied them back. The temple was all thrown open and decorated with garlands of leaves and fruit. Joachim and Anne went for a while to one of the priest's houses in Jerusalem and then immediately journeyed homeward. I saw them in Nazareth holding an entertainment at which many of the poor were fed and presented with alms. Joachim received numerous congratulations upon the acceptance of his offering at the temple. 
Upon their arrival home, the holy couple published the mercy of God with feeling, joy, and devotion. From that time they lived in perfect continence and in great fear of God. I received at this time an instruction upon the great influence exerted upon children by the purity of the continence and the mortification of parents. So let me just recap a little bit of what happened, what has just happened, which is that Joachim, after offering sacrifice in the temple, was led by the priests to the entrance of an underground tunnel that passed under the Golden Gate. Jerusalem has a number of gates to the city, and one of them is the Golden Gate that faces the Mount of Olives. Now, you, the Golden Gate is famous for something else having happened at the Golden Gate, which is the Golden Gate is the gate through which Jesus entered on Palm Sunday in, uh, after the victorious procession down the Mount of Olives. He entered the Golden Gate and proceeded to the temple. So it is um, the Golden Gate is at one and the same time the place where the Messiah came to the temple in triumph and the place where the mother of the Messiah, Mary, was conceived. She was conceived under the Golden Gate in this subterranean passage, according to Anne Catherine Emmerich. Now, according to Anne Catherine Emmerich, and one is under no obligation to believe this, the conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary was also miraculous, that it did not take place in the normal way that conceptions of human beings take place. It took place also in a... Um, I'm trying to think of the right word, but in a way that did not involve the normal physical interaction through which conceptions took place. It took place at the, um, uh, at the event of a mere embrace, of a chaste embrace between Anne and Joachim. This is not dogma. Um, this is uh, a pious belief, perhaps. It is certainly a vision of Anne Catherine Emmerich's. You know, take it for what it's worth. Um, I, I see no reason, frankly, to think it's terribly improbable. And as Anne Catherine Emmerich relates, she was shown at the time that this would have actually been the way that human conceptions would have taken place had it not been for the fall of man, for the fall of Adam and Eve. So anyway, they met halfway through this subterranean passage under the Golden Gate. They met directly under the Golden Gate. They embraced chastely and the Blessed Virgin Mary was conceived in Anne's womb. Um, and uh, that is um, uh, um, anyway, that's, that's what I just read. I, I won't uh, repeat some of the details of that. So anyway, continuing with the visions of Anne Catherine Emmerich, Four and one-half months, less three days after St. Anne had conceived under the Golden Gate, I saw the soul of Mary formed by the Most Holy Trinity in movement. I saw the divine persons interpenetrating one another. It became a great shining mountain and still like the figure of a man. I saw something from the midst of the three divine persons, excuse me, I saw something from the midst of the three divine persons rising toward the mouth and issuing from it like a beam of light. This beam hovered before the face of God and assumed a human shape, or rather it was formed to such. As it took the human form, I saw it as if by the command of God most beautifully fashioned. 
I saw God showing the beauty of the soul to the angels, and from it they experienced unspeakable joy. I saw that soul united to the living body of Mary in Anne's womb. Anne lay asleep upon her couch. I saw a light hovering over her, and from it a beam descending toward the middle of her side. I saw that beam enter into her in the form of a small, luminous human figure. At the same instant, Anne sat up. She was entirely surrounded by light, and she had a vision. She saw her own person, open as it were, and in it, as if in a tabernacle, a holy, luminous virgin, from whom proceeded all salvation. I saw, too, that this was the instant that Mary first moved in her mother's womb. Anne arose and announced to Joachim what had taken place. Then she went out to pray under the tree beneath which a child had been promised to her. I learned that Mary's soul animated her body five days earlier than is customary with ordinary children, and that she was born twelve days sooner. So there ends the direct visions of the um, conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary in the womb of St. Anne that were received and recounted by Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich. Um, I know, as I said, I, I definitely want to take a step back and say this is not dogma, that um, the uh, virginal conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary is, first of all, not to be consumed, con excuse me, not to be confused with the virginal conception of Jesus, which is dogma and which is certainly known and certainly true and certainly pronounced by the Church. This is more in the realm of a pious belief or a pious legend or, in this case, private revelation. Um, however, it is what is recounted by Anne Catherine Emmerich for what is worth. And um, another place in her account that I want to step back from and say, you know, if it contradicts dogma, then it must not be true, which is that she saw, Anne Catherine Emmerich saw, the Blessed Virgin Mary's soul being placed in the body of the Blessed Virgin Mary when the body of the Blessed Virgin Mary was already about four months in the womb of St. Anne. Now, I do not know, frankly, whether there is or is not dogma about when the soul enters the body of a baby in the womb. I think there might be dogma that it enters at the moment of conception, in which case this would be an error in the visions of Anne Catherine Emmerich. Um, I know that St. Thomas thought that it entered later, but I think that was because the dogma had not been pronounced at the time of St. Thomas. In any case, I would have to look that up to know for sure. But again, I don't want to be asserting anything as true that's contrary to dogma, because dogma is, of course, divine revelation about what's true, and is public revelation about what's true, whereas everything I've been recounting has been private revelation. Nonetheless, I find it very uh, rich imagery, um, very, very beautiful. We know that all of heaven and all of earth must have rejoiced in an unprecedented fashion when the Blessed Virgin Mary was conceived in the womb of St. Anne. This was when the Rubicon was crossed. This was when the die was cast. This was when the, the chain of events 
which is going to un- inevitably lead to the coming of the Messiah and the redemption of man was was cast. This is when that chain of events was irrevocably committed to, was when the Blessed Virgin Mary, the only human creature ever uh, conceived without original sin, was conceived in the womb of St. Anne in order to be born, grow up, and in turn conceive the second person of the Most Holy Trinity in her womb, who would then live, suffer, and die to take away the sins of all of mankind, to open the gates of heaven, and to bring all of humanity to redemption. And this was the moment when that, you know, when that bomb went off, so to speak, when that explosion irrevocably took place that would culminate in the redemption of mankind. So that's why I wanted to dedicate today's show to the Immaculate Conception. I hope it's been useful for your uh, prayer or for your meditation. I want to thank you for listening, and I um, want to invite you to join us again next week, same time, same place, for Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. And with that, this is Roy Showman saying bye for now.